Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkshire, host, and our guest is Alan McHale, an assistant professor of history at Yale University. He is a historian of the early modern Muslim world, the Ottoman Empire, and Egypt, whose research and teaching focus mostly on the nature of early modern imperial rule, peasant histories, environmental resource management, and science and medicine. In one of the first environmental histories of the Ottoman Empire, Professor McHale examines relations between the empire and its most lucrative province of Egypt. Today we talk with him about his award-winning new book, Nature and Empire in Ottoman Egypt, an environmental history. Welcome, Professor McHale. Thanks very much. This is your first book, and I think it's such a novel idea. What led you to write it? Um, at the most basic level, I was interested in the history of the Ottoman Empire in the Arab world. Mm -hmm. uh, the Ottoman Empire ruled in most parts of um, the Arab world for about 350 years. So I was curious about the obvious uh, impact that must have had on the region, and then also the region's impact on the Ottoman Empire as a whole and on imperial rule um, in, in different parts of okay. the empire. Okay. And um, where does the Ottoman Empire fall in terms of history, what years, and then what was going on in Egypt during that time? Okay, so um, the conventional dates that are given for the empire are 1300 to 1922. Okay. So that's over 600 years, um, and the Ottoman Empire existed in what we today call the Middle East, um, in the Balkans, um, and uh, in parts of North Africa. Okay. So um, it was a late medieval state, an early modern state, a 19th century modernizing state, um, and then uh, a participant in World War I. Okay. So it has a huge, um, a huge history sure. in multiple places, very different um, sorts of regions with different languages, different cultural traditions, different religions. So it, it, it touched on um, many different uh, parts of you know, what we now call the old world. So Europe and the Balkans, obviously, um, Africa, mm -hmm. uh, Iran and Central Asia, Russia, the Mediterranean, the Indian Ocean, et cetera. Okay. And give us an overview of your book. Tell okay. A, tell a little bit about it. Okay. So the book, um, as, as you mentioned in the introduction, is interested in, at the most general level, the relationship uh, between Egypt and the rest of the Ottoman Empire. Okay. Um, to get at that relationship, uh, I wrote an environmental history because I came to see that that was the best way of, of getting at mm -hmm. this relationship. So Egypt uh, was conquered by Ottoman armies in 1517, okay. uh, made uh, one of the most uh, important provinces of the empire. Over its history, it proved to be the most lucrative province in the Ottoman Empire. Um, and then remained within the Ottoman fold. Uh, historians disagree about this, but uh, until the end of the 19th century. Some say the beginning of the 19th century, but I say the end of the, uh, of the 19th century. So um, my work is really focused on the 17th and the 18th centuries. Mm -hmm. um, and I examine in each chapter a different aspect of natural resource management. So okay. uh, this included uh, water, obviously. In Egypt, the mm -hmm. Nile is very important. So um, irrigation. Um, this also included uh, the production of food resources, so grains mostly. Uh, and then also I'm interested in the way that the empire managed the movement of wood to the province of Egypt because Egypt was an excessive producer of grain but didn't have a lot of native timber supplies. 
uh, which were needed for various irrigation works, other building projects, other sort of infrastructural, uh, infrastructural projects. So um, irrigation tied Egypt in a very intimate way to the rest of the empire. So we see a great interest on the part of the central administration of, of the capital mm -hmm. in Istanbul, modern-day Turkey, um, in the sort of nitty-gritty, day-to-day, on-the-ground management of even the smallest canals in very rural parts of Egypt. Mm -hmm. So we have a very strong um, bureaucratic connection over the management of water. And the reason for that was because Egypt was such, such uh, an important uh, producer of grain for feeding different parts of the empire. So first I, I examine the management of water, and then I show how food was moved uh, to different parts of the empire, mm -hmm. um, how wood was brought from, from different parts of the empire to Egypt, mm -hmm. so the opposite direction, mostly from um, Anatolia, southern Anatolia, so what is Turkey today, okay. and then also from what, what today is Lebanon and parts of Syria. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'm also interested in, in the labor that undertook all of this and how that is managed. And then I end the book with uh, an examination of how this system changed from the 18th century to the early 19th century and how the management of natural resources moved from being controlled by local communities within Egypt, within an imperial framework, but nevertheless on the ground by local, um, local communities, to being uh, managed more centrally from Cairo and the implications of that uh, both for politics uh, for um, economic relations within the empire and then also for um, um, environmental management. Okay, and it's, tell us about your methodology. It seems like it, it would be difficult to, to find all of these types of information. How did you go about that? So before I began this project, I was also a little worried that um, these sorts of issues would not, um, would not be adequately addressed by the archival materials that we have from mm -hmm. this period because Many historians obviously um, have worked on this period. None have really dealt with um, environmental history or environmental resource management. Um, now, looking back on it, I see that you know, my fears were a little misplaced because um, obviously irrigation had such a wide um, imperial, uh, such wide imperial importance, and so there are <coughs> many, many records of it. So um, for my research, I used archival collections both in Istanbul so the central repository of the Ottoman state mm -hmm. um, is, in, um, is in Istanbul. Um, and then I also use the, the records of local Islamic courts throughout mm -hmm. Egypt. So I wanted to operate both at an imperial level and then also a local level and bring the two together. So that required using archival collections um, in Ottoman Turkish and in Arabic in Istanbul and then also um, in Egypt. When you looked at the records, the individual records, what, you know, basically what mm -hmm. is it showing you? Mm -hmm. Okay, so for example, mm -hmm. in the court records, okay. uh, you would have peasants uh, from a certain community coming and saying, um, we are the, we're the farmers of village X. Um, and the upstream village, village Y, has been taking more water from the canal than is their, uh, their historic allotted amount. Uh -huh. Therefore, less water is coming to us so we're not able to irrigate our fields um, in the way that we need to to produce the food that ultimately you, the Ottoman state, will tax. So you need to help us uh, to deal with this situation. Mm -hmm. Wow, very interesting that they have you know, such detailed records like that. Mm -hmm. 
Can you give us an example of um, how environmental history helps us understand um, the Ottoman Empire? Okay, uh, usually Ottoman historians are interested in a certain part of the Ottoman Empire, a okay. province, um, and in doing that province's history. And yes, in relation to the Ottoman Empire, but really a history of that province. Mm -hmm. Or they're interested in doing a history of uh, the capital and its institutions. So um, I was really attracted to doing an environmental history of the Ottoman Empire because it allows us to do, I think, an, a, a sort of integrative history. Okay. So for example, um, I examine cases of the building of dams um, in Egypt, mm -hmm. again, to help irrigate fields that would grow food that would be shipped um, to different parts of the empire, to North okay. Africa, uh, to parts of the Balkans, to parts of Anatolia, etc. Um, but because Egypt doesn't have native wood supplies, that wood had to be brought from elsewhere. So I trace a particular case in the 1720s of the importation of wood from parts of southwestern Anatolia, so around uh, wh what is today Izmir, um, and that wood being brought to Egypt, uh, then being shipped down the Nile, and then taken to a certain, uh, a certain village to build uh, a small dam. Mm -hmm. So in tracing this history, it allows us to um, connect the history of um, um, the harvesting of wood and, for instance, the labor of the lumberjacks mm -hmm. um, in, uh, in southwestern Anatolia who harvested the wood, uh, the, the merchant ships that brought that wood across the Mediterranean to Egypt, the sailors who sailed it down the Nile, ultimately to the people um, who used it in the countryside in Egypt um, to build this dam that, again, it will irrigate water to grow food that will um, be sent to different parts of the empire. Mm -hmm. So um, environmental history allows us to operate at these different scales of um, the village, right, mm -hmm. the small-scale nitty-gritty sure. um, community of the village, all the way up to the Mediterranean um, as a unit of analysis and different parts of the empire. And it allows us to bring in um, um, different actors. So mm -hmm. in, in this case, the lumberjacks in Anatolia um, and the farmers in, in Egypt. Very good. And conclusions, what are some of the conclusions you reach in your book? So um, probably the main conclusion that I reach is uh, that the, the local management of um, these uh, natural resource processes mm -hmm. uh, was ultimately from, from the perspective of those involved, um, uh, more equitable, um, more sustainable, um, and ultimately better for their lives. And, and what do I mean by that? Mm -hmm. um, in the 19th century, when um, much of the management of irrigation was centralized by the imperial bureaucracy in Cairo, um, this led to the uh, large-scale movement of peasants brought to work on canal projects okay. rather than in the previous centuries these canals being managed locally. Um, it led to the salinization of soil on these projects mm -hmm. um, and ultimately it led to less autonomy for these um, local communities. Um, so I think there's a lesson that uh, can be um, exported to places outside of the Ottoman Empire and outside mm -hmm. of Egypt um, um, in terms of the, the, the local oversight over not just natural resources, but um, over, let's say, local resources um, more generally, and what happens when uh, management of, uh, of, of local resources becomes more centralized or more bureaucratized by right. um, some kind of central administration. Yeah, that makes sense. Final question. I always like to know, um, in doing the research for the book, was there anything that particularly surprised you? Um, 
I think the thing that probably surprised me most uh, was the level of detail that I was able to find mm -hmm. um, in these different sources. Um, again, we find uh, the enumeration of um, hundreds and hundreds of people um, you know, to the single individual. Mm -hmm. We find um, the uh, weighing of, for instance, um, um, rice down to the, the a very minute scale. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just copious, copious um, uh, amounts of sources about very small-scale, nitty-gritty kinds of things. And it's often said that the Ottoman Empire um, sailed on a sea of paper. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's true. Uh, we're just beginning to scratch the surface of um, the sources that we have for Ottoman history. Um, so I knew going in that I would find a lot, mm -hmm. um, but the, the level of detail, I think, is what, what really um, surprised me. Mm -hmm. So are you planning a, a step number two after this book, uh, based on some of the things that you found? I, I am. So in reading uh, these cases of irrigation repair projects, for the most part, mm -hmm. um, I came to see that um, animal labor was used in lots of these projects. Okay. So used to bring materials to the worksite, used to hollow away dirt, um, used sometimes even in the dredging of canals. Mm -hmm. um, and I found that curious at first. Mm -hmm. um, now, again, it's not, it's not very surprising when I say it. And then I started sort of cluing into animals, um, and I noticed that they were all over the sources that I was reading. Mm -hmm. So for instance, um, in the Egyptian countryside, uh, the ownership of animals represented the most significant form of uh, capital mm -hmm. for um, rural Egyptians because technically the ownership of uh, the, technically they did not own the land that they used. Okay. Um, but animals represented some of uh, the, the, the their most important forms of property. Mm -hmm. So um, in my next book, I want to trace uh, the importance of animals to this rural economy. So I think. Uh, we can't understand an early modern agrarian society without understanding the really important um, and multiple roles that animals played in the society. And then I think there are important changes uh, that happen in, um, in uh, the latter part of the 18th century. So I want to I wanna work on that and trace that in my next book okay, project. Okay, very good. Well, we'll look forward to that. Thank you, Thank you so much for being here with Thank us you. today and sharing some of your work. For more information about Professor McHale and his research, please visit our website at yale.edu backslash Report. Be sure to join us again for another episode of the Macmillan Report, made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale.